This morning we are concluding <clears throat> our series of messages on facing your fears. And we've looked at a lot of things that um, human beings are afraid of, a lot. And we've talked about fear of failure and fear of not measuring up, fear of the future, fear of our children's future. Uh, today we're looking at uh, facing our fear of marital failure. Now I want to just share briefly before we begin our message um, around this subject. Um, here's, here's, the under, here's what I know to be true. In a congregation like ours, uh, half of us have been directly affected by divorce. Either you have been divorced or you're considering divorce or there's someone close to you in your family that has experienced divorce. So here's what I want you to know about this message today. We don't do guilt and condemnation here at Hope Covenant Church. We do grace and God's peace. The Bible says that if any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. If you have experienced a divorce in your past, you need to know that God's grace and love are completely surrounding you today. For everyone else, if, you've, if you're married, if you've never been married, if you maybe one day you will be married or you will be married again, you need to know that this message is for you. This is from God's Word. This is not just a message about marriage, but about relationships. So we want everyone to fully embrace the truth that God wants to share with us today. So that's, I just wanted to share that before we begin our message today about facing your fear of marital failure. Now this whole thing of fear, we've been working on it for eight weeks, and uh, we need to remember that there's a lot of things in our world that we have to be afraid of. I think we all know that. The fear of ISIS, the fear of financial collapse, the fear of a plague of mosquitoes of exodus proportions, right? Our fear factor is on high alert. And that's not just for us, but for our children as well. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, a um, Minneapolis Tribune staff writer in Minneapolis, Minnesota, posed a question to 7,000 young Minnesotans about what they're afraid of. Here's what some of them said. Billy, age 11, from Minneapolis, wrote, I fear death the most. 11 years old, right? I want to grow up and have a wife and a Porsche. Well, at least a Porsche. <laughs> so <clears throat> that's a great fear for Billy. <clears throat> Uh, Stacy, age 12, from Park Rapids, wrote, I'm afraid that an Elvis impersonator would move in across the street, and every night he would sing nonstop Elvis songs. My mom would love it, but I would hate it. I swear my mom's Elvis music is making me mental. Okay, that's <laughs> Stacy, age 12. And then Rachel, age 8, from Eden Prairie, wrote, I'm really not afraid of anything except maybe monsters and haunted houses and horror movies and getting my head chopped off. So uh, pray for Rachel, by the way. Uh, fear grips us all. Do you know how many people in our world today stockpile bottled water genera generators and duct tape for the end times? Did you know that there's entire stores and supermarkets dedicated to the end times? Here's some of the names of these stores. Survival Shop, End Times Warehouse, and Apocalypse Now, and then parathetically underneath it, the gear you need to supply Doomsday. And they have a gadget of the month. And I noticed online the gadget of the month this month is a Swiss Army knife. So, uh, so at least I've got that, right? Uh, I've got that in my pocket. 
Now that's an extreme. I think we all realize that, but fear is all around us. Now let me share with you some anti-fear words. This is from God in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So God's promise is, listen, I've got something for you. I don't want to take something away from you. I want to give you something. And God says, I am not giving you a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Based on that verse, let me share with you some facts. Fact number one, evil is very real. Our real adversary is not zombies or ISIS. It's Satan. He has mass destruction on his mind, and he knows his time is short. Fact number two, things will get worse before they get better. By the way, if this is your first time to Hope Covenant Church, welcome. We hope you have a good time. (laughs) Things will get worse before they get better. God never promised us freedom from problems or tribulations or danger or even death. God promised that he would be with us in the midst of those tribulations. Fact number three, Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is control. He has promised this, no no matter what happens in this world, no matter what what we see and what we experience, that he says, one day I will make all things new. That's the promise of God. Jesus said, I will make all things new. That doesn't mean we're not going to go through tribulations. That doesn't mean we're not going to go through hard times. But Jesus promised that I will make all things new. Because the end of all things, the end of evil and death and sin and Satan, Jesus already has promised in Revelation 1.8 that I'm going to take care of all of those things. In fact, he said, I took care of those things on the cross. Now, Satan is still acting like he's got a lot of things to do. But Jesus Christ said, listen, I took care of all of those things on the cross. Jesus Christ is alive and he is in control. Fact. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Yesterday at Gilbert's memorial service, we as a congregation uh, spoke these words out loud, but you need, the, you need to hear these words again because anybody that is facing the fear of everything we see around us, we need to hear these words. Romans chapter 8 verses 35 and 37, can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Overwhelming victory. Say that aloud with me. Overwhelming victory. Not just victory, not just getting by, not just, well, I hope I make it through another day. Overwhelming victory is promised to those who are in Christ. Jesus. So with this great truth, this kind of overarching truth in our pockets and in our hearts, let's look at one of the greatest fears that human beings face. And half of us have experienced this. And that great fear is the fear of marital failure. All of us have experienced this. The fear that a spouse would walk out on us. A fear of an affair or a fear of getting caught in a, a dead, end, and lifeless marriage that will consume us for the rest of our lives. Since marriage is God's idea, it's important that we go to the source of marriage, and that is the Bible, God's Word. 
By the way, I want to say at this point, read your Bibles. And in the back of the church, every Sunday, we have between, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 Bibles back there. And you see them kind of stacked up there. Those are for you to take home. If you don't have a Bible, or if you just want another one so you'll feel spiritual, take one home, okay? Those Bibles are for you. So uh, grab a Bible, but read your Bibles. You'll be amazed at how much truth you find there. So um, all of these things, the Bible wants to provide for us several steps, I believe, insight and wisdom, several steps to finding and experiencing a marathon marriage. Now, I speak from some kind of uh, place of expertise. I've been married for 44 years. Uh, my in law Sherry's parents, have been married for 66 years, and I have been around a lot of married couples in my life. Many of them have failed, and there's that broken spirit around that, but many have survived, and I want to give you some real clear advice. Even if you're not married, this is what you want to know for the future, steps to finding a marathon marriage. Step number one is this. I must put Christ at the center of my life and my marriage. I must put Christ at the center of my life and the center of my marriage. You can't survive without it. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4.12, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. It's talking about that, that power of a one man and one woman and God in the very center of that. Now, let me show you a little diagram. Uh, let's put that up. And uh, at God, God is at the top of the apex of the triangle, man and woman at the bottom. Now notice, if, if a man starts getting closer to God, he's going to get closer to his wife. If his wife starts getting closer to God, she's going to get closer to her husband. If both of them are getting closer to God, both of them will be closer to each other. We cannot do marriage on our own. It takes three to make a marriage. Now, I'm not talking about husband, wife, and mother-in-law. You know, yay, mother-in-laws. I've got a great one. How many of you have great mother-in-laws? Okay, yeah, three of you, great. Yeah, it takes care of, I'll take that out of the second service. Okay, so it takes a man and a woman in God, right? Some people think all it takes is a church and a minister. Well, I want to get, people come and ask me that aren't part of our church, would you marry us? Well, yeah, and I always ask them a question they think is weird. Why are you wanting to get married? Our society says that marriage is kind of a lost art. It's not that important anymore. Why do you want to get married? Well, um, my mom and dad really want us to get married in a church. Well, why? <laughs> and why do you want to get married in a church? Well, because we want a Christian marriage. I said, you know what? I love you, but you know, getting married in a church does not make a Christian marriage. A Christian marriage takes a man and a woman, both committed to Jesus and committed to God and committed to one another. That's what it takes to have a Christian marriage. It makes sense to me that God should be in the center of our marriage. Who better than God to teach me about love and sacrifice, faithfulness, commitment, and honesty? I mean, the closer I am to God, the closer I am to Sherry. We need a third party to act as architect and chief builder of our marriages. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. The point is, we can't do marriage on our own. It takes God at the center of our lives our marriage, leading, guiding, helping, inspiring to build a marathon marriage. Uh, Sherry and I, like I said, have been, we've been married for 44 years. We've done a lot of things right. We've done a lot of things wrong. But the bottom line is that we have the sense of deep commitment to each other and to God. And that's what's kept us together through the hard times. You know, they say that the hardest thing that a couple can overcome is the death of a child. And it's true. Uh, Sherry and I have overcome the death of two children. 
And we could not have possibly have done that without our deep dependence on God and Jesus Christ. We need God to build a strong marriage. Now, if you're trying to build a marriage without Christ, here, here's the news. Christ, when I show couples, we're doing premarital counseling, Christ, again, is the top. The two corners are commitment and communication. Christ, commitment, communication. What I explain to them is if you have two of those things, you're going to have a so-so marriage. Pick any two of the three. Christ, communication, marriage. If you have one of those things, you're toast. You, you don't have a chance of having a great marriage. If you want a great marriage, you need all three. Christ, commitment, and communication. So, step number one, we have to put Christ at the center of our lives and the center of our marriage. Step number two, I must invest time and energy in maintaining and enriching my marriage. Now, you would think that after 44 years, Sherry and I might have a clue as to what marriage is all about. I, I, we confess to you, we're still trying to figure this thing out, right? Um, we had last summer what we call a marriage retreat. And it's done through uh, Jim and Carrie, uh, Jim and um, uh, Jimmy Evans, I forget his wife's name. But it's done through a, 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 a relationship that we watch on television. They have a, a show called Marriage Today. And uh, they, said, they suggest you take a marriage retreat. And you go and you find, what's the vision of your marriage? What are you, what are you planning on? Why are you doing what you're doing? Um, how are you going to raise your children? Uh, in our case, how are we going to minister to our grandchildren? Um, how are we going to keep the, uh, the fire, the coals in our marriage hot? How, what, how are we going to do all those things? We need to talk through those things and plan. And, and so we made all kinds of objectives and plans. And what's amazing is that since July, now again, I, I love Sherry with all my heart. I would die for her. I would take a bullet in an instant. But there are times she just irritates me like anything. You know. <laughs> now, I'm sure she doesn't feel that way at all about me. But the fact is, but I'll tell you what, since July, again, we've been married 44 years, there's been this intensity of love and passion and joy in our relationship uh, that is, we've never experienced before. It's because we were intentional about putting something into our marriage. Marriage, marathon marriages just don't happen. You've probably heard this, marriages are made in heaven. Well, I'm not sure about that, but I know this, they're assembled on earth, and that's usually a problem. Now, the easy part of relationships is always falling in love, right? Because we see something. When I was a senior at San Diego State University, I met Sherry, and when I was walking around the spring of 1970 singing Sherry Baby by the Jersey Boys, by the Four Seasons. And I didn't know then that they were going to be popular, you know, 40 years later. But uh, the fact is, I was totally smitten. But you know how long that lasts? It lasts usually about a day or a week or something like that. Marriage takes work. It takes energy. It takes investment. It takes intentionality. In other words, I need to have a purpose or a plan for my marriage. What kind of purpose or plan do you have for your relationship? When, where, and how often are we going to spend time together? Just the two of us. Now, one of the things that gets in the way of really good marriages are those little buggers we call kids. Close your ears, earmuffs, okay? And kids can be, you know, they're wonderful and we love them and they're beautiful, but nothing can derail a marriage more than children. Because what happens? You put all of your energy into the kids. Healthy marriages recognize that the number one relationship is not the kids. It's mom and dad. It's putting them first, putting them primary in their relationship. We need to take that back. Because love is not a feeling. 
Love is not a feeling that I feel when I feeling, feel a feeling when I've never felt before. That's not what it is. The Bible is very clear. Love is not a feeling. It is a decision. It is a commitment. You know, it kind of irritates me when somebody says, well, I've fallen out of love. Uh, there, there's a Greek word that describes that, okay? It's called baloney. No, that's not really a Greek word. <laughs> we don't fall out of love, folks. We choose to stop loving. Now, sometimes there's valid reasons for that. Don't get me wrong. But we choose to stop loving. We choose to stop singing Sherry Baby and doing the things that we did before and intentionally moving into that person's life and giving them our very best. And we do all of that. And when we stop doing that, we fall out of love. God wants something better for us. Let's look at this passage of Scripture in Colossians 3.12. Clothe yourselves. Okay, that means literally putting something on you, right? Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all together, all these other virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Picture your marriage as an empty box. I've told you this before, okay? There's nothing in the marriage box. It's empty. Compassion, kindness, patience, forgiveness, love, passion, romance are not in the box. You need to put them in the box. Otherwise, your box becomes empty. And when your box is empty, your marriage is in trouble. We must put something in the box to get something out of the box. Love isn't a quiver in my liver or an ocean of emotion. It's a decision. It's daily doing something for somebody that I care deeply about. 1 John 3.18 says, Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. Yards in Arizona are weird. Most of them are rocks. I mean, you got to do some spraying for weed stuff sometimes, but I'll tell you where yards really are something. That's in Minnesota. I lived there for 10 years. So how many, how many of you guys lived in Minnesota before, okay? Okay, aren't you glad you're not there this morning? Okay, cool. Yeah, so Minnesota, we had this big yard in Shoreview, Minnesota. And um, uh, so and every, Saturday morning, uh, everybody in the neighborhood was out mowing their lawn, and they were doing the weed and feed, and they were trimming and mowing and spraying. And, and it was obvious, always obvious in our neighborhood who put in the time, you know? Who put in the time to their yard? I always did just barely enough so that they wouldn't think I was a communist. You know, that, that's, that's the best I had, you know. So I just, just barely do. So, but it doesn't take a degree in horticulture to figure out why some yards look good and some yards don't, right? It's whoever does the work. It's the same in our marriages. The people have mutually satisfying, healthy marriages are those who, listen now, intentionally, regularly, and lovingly work in their marriage yards. We're constantly pulling weeds, and we're constantly putting on other good things. Now, and there's no exception to that. Marriages left on their own become weedy and seedy, okay? Always happens. But if you put work and attention into them, that's something good. So we had a thing, I don't even know if they have it out here. Do they have such a thing out here called weed and feed? Weed and feed, okay. Weed and feed in Minnesota is a big deal. Because the idea is you, you put down the stuff on your grass, it kills the weeds, and then it gives nutrients and nitrates and good stuff to the grass. So weed and feed. So, let me, so you'll remember, let me give you a little acrostic to help you remember how to intentionally invest in your marriage. Weed and feed. 
W-E-E-D and F-E-E-D. W, work on communication. There's no other single thing outside of Christ being in the center of your marriage. There's no other single thing that you can do than that, that will help you more than that. Work on your communication. And let me just say aside, gals, you can rest for a minute. You don't have to listen to this. Guys, listen to me. It's not just about listening. You actually have to say something sometimes, okay? It's not just about listening. And listen, listen. when you do listen, listen with your heart. Don't listen with your ears so much. Listen with your heart. Ask your wife, honey, what's behind those feelings? What's behind those emotions? Listen with your heart. Work on communication. E, edify. That means for every one critical negative thing you say to your spouse, you have to say 10 positive things. You do that, it will transform your marriage. Another E, encourage. Be your wife or your husband's best cheerleader. I, I could not survive without Sherry being my best cheerleader. She, she called me this morning. She's in uh, Georgia. She's been there for 10 days. She's coming home tomorrow. Um, she call, every Sunday morning, she prays over me before I uh, go to church. And so she calls me from Georgia and prays over me. And when she does that, this, there's this spirit of encouragement and blessing and the power of the Holy Spirit that lifts me up. I can't live without that. We need to encourage each other. W, work on your communication. Edify, encourage. D, date. It's the single most important habit you can do as a married couple. If you guys are, well, you're like Sherry and I, you're in our 60s, you know, why should we date? Because it's the single most important habit that we've ever done in our lives. Date. Well, that's kind of corny. Date. Well, we don't think we should. Date. Do it. It'll make, it'll change your marriage. And, that's weed, and feed, F-E-E-D, F, forgiveness. Failures and sins in a marriage are not grounds for divorce. They're grounds for forgiveness. Hold that. Believe that, live that. E, expect the best. Expect the best out of your spouse. In fact, there, when I say something like this, honey, you did, the other day she was backing the van out and she rubbed up against my car. Now, 20 years ago, that would have made me mental. It still kind of did, but I kept it inside of me. And, but, and, but she kind of, and she was so profoundly sad and, and, and I said, you know what? That is so unlike you. I mean, you're such a, a great driver. You know what? I'll get some rubbing compounds, see if I can make it work a little, you know, look okay. And it does. It's not bad at all. But, you know, the fact that I gave her forgiveness, forgiveness and grace, and I just expect the best out of her. What a difference that makes. Another E, endure hard times. That means get help. D, dare to be other-centered. Okay, let me review. Work on communication, W. Edify, E. Encourage, be a cheerleader, E. D, date. And forgiveness, expect the best, endure the hard times, dare to be other-centered. Friends, if you're in an affair or contemplating an affair because your marriage is unfulfilling, please hear this. The grass is never greener on the other side of the fence. The grass is always greener where you water it and take care of it. Just a word we need to weed and feed our marriages. That brings us to the third step of a marathon marriage, and it's this. I must change my focus from me to you. This is really hard. I must change my focus from me to you. In other words, I must become other-centered. Why? Because selfishness in a relationship will kill it every time. I'm a selfish man. Sherry is a selfish woman. And if we both just pressed into our selfishness and our self-centeredness, our marriage wouldn't have lasted 20 minutes. 
we have to consider the needs of the other first. How do, why do we do that? And what's the motiv motivation for doing that? It's called Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. When you do things, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than to yourselves. Do not be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. Our model for this kind of life is Jesus Christ. Let me read the next couple of verses. In your lives, you must think and act like Christ Jesus. Christ himself was like God in everything, but he did not think that being equal with God was something to be used for his own benefit, but he gave up his place with God and made himself nothing. Marathon marriages are built by unselfish people. And finally, step four, I must persevere through my marital problems. Conflict is inevitable in marriage. When people come to me for marriage counseling, I always ask them what they fight about. And this is really great. Almost universally, they'll look at each other and say, we don't fight. And I'd say, congratulations. You're the first of like 10,000 couples that I've known in my life that, have never, that never fight. I said, well, we, well that, now what I meant was that we, you know, we don't kill each other. Well, I didn't ask that. I said, what do you fight about? We all fight. But two things are optional in a marriage. Combat is optional. It takes two people to fight. And quitting is optional or giving up. So in 1997, I had confessed my gambling addiction to my wife and my church, and I was a mess. And we were at a marriage retreat for couples in crisis, for pastor, pastoral couples in crisis. And one night, we were sitting in the hot tub and um, kind of filling the hot tub up with our tears, with my tears and Sherry's tears. And I'll never forget what Sherry said to me that night. She said, honey, I hate what you did to me and to the church but I will never leave you. I forgive you. I will always be here beside you. I will never let you go. And she used the very words that Jesus used on us, right? She said, I will never let you go. Winston Churchill once said, wars are never won by evacuations. Chuck Swindoll said, there are two processes that must never be started prematurely, right? <laughs> Embalming and divorce. And Winston Churchill's last fa famous last words, never, 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 never give up. I don't know what marital challenges you are facing, but I want to challenge you to make a covenant this morning to agree with these three statements. If you're not married, I want you to make a covenant with yourself that you will not marry anyone until you will make these covenants to them. Here are the three statements. Statement number one, we believe that every conflict Past, present, or future has a solution. Every conflict. Number two, we will get help fast when a problem arises in our marriage. Three, we will actively move towards Christ and toward each other. George Blucher, who was the author of Death of a Russian Novel, when he turned 30 years old, he wrote these words. I think we, we need to hear these words as we close. Quote, Sometimes I sit down with myself and say, 
look, you're 30 now. At best, you've got 50 more years. But what are you doing with it? You drag yourself from day to day. You spend most of your time wanting, wanting, wanting. But what you have is never any good, and what you don't have seems absolutely wonderful. Why don't you eat your cutlet, man? Eat it with pleasure and joy. Love your wife. Make your babies. Love your friends. And have the courage to tell those who seek to diminish you that they are of the devil and you want no part of them. Courage, man. Courage and appetite. Those are the words we need for our marriages. Courage and appetite. That's what we need for modern marriages. Brothers and sisters in Christ, don't be afraid. Don't give up. The resurrection was proof that dead things can come back to life. Let's pray. Father, this morning we are, well, we're really kind of upset about what happened to Gilbert. We're not understanding why these kinds of things happen. And Father, I know what you did in my soul when I was thinking about this just the other day. It's this, don't, don't leave any doubts with Sherry about your love and commitment to her. There's no guarantees for tomorrow. Don't leave any doubts about how you feel about your wife, how you treat your wife, how you love your wife, how you live with your wife. And Father, may we take this as both a warning and a challenge that we have today a new day, Old things are gone. New things are in front of us. We have a day today to do life differently, to do marriage differently, to do relationships differently. And so, Father, my prayer for everyone in this room is that they would know and love you and that in their relationships, Father, if they're married or not, that they would know and love that person with the kind of love that only comes from the Holy Spirit. Father, we've got to do this right because the world is watching. They're watching what Christians do with marriage, and we've got to do this right for the kingdom and for our own joy. Father, may we experience that great pleasure that we call marriage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.